0: Take their soul to the next level, and I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes, between sixty and ninety minutes, covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best-selling authors legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or or any of the companies they represent. Now, have you ever felt that the world is full of too many distractions? Well, research shows that the ability to stay focused is a competitive advantage in work and in life. However, in the age of ever-increasing demands of our attention, how do we get the best from our technology without letting it get the best of us? Well, today's guest is going to show us how to do it. We have on the show best-selling author Nir Eyal, is the author of the new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. This is an eye-opening conversation, to say the least, so let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Nir Ayal. How are you doing, Nir? Great. Good to see you, Alex. How are things? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Like I was telling you before we got started, I am a fan. I read your first book, Hooked. I took your course, uh, and I read your new book as well. Indistractable, uh, which is a, a must read for, I think, the planet. <laughs> Anyone who wants to get anything done uh, should read your book. I blood. love it. Thank you. <laughs> you may quote me on I that. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I it, will. <laughs> it's it, it It's fascinating because it's, you know, when I was, you know, you and I, I think, are of similar vintage. So when we were coming up, you know, the world wasn't as noisy. Uh, you know, we had three channels. <laughs> <laughs> on television <laughs> maybe you're younger than me i'm not sure but you know it wasn't no, as no, much... good in in our day we had
1: you know we sat around the fire when we were inventing uh the wheel for the first time you know back then when dinosaurs roamed the earth that was right. all we did right
0: and cartoons were on saturdays uh so... <laughs> exactly <laughs> but it 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 was a it wasn't as crazy as far as attention uh things grabbing our attention as it is now and the, all this technology is really done wonders for us but it also has created a lot of harm it's like any tool you could use it for good or for evil and in your first book you really talk about some of the evil stuff <laughs> that social media companies mm-hmm. do uh, to hook us on stuff so my very first question is what got you started in this line of work and researching human habits and what hooks us psychologically and all this kind of stuff
1: yeah, yeah, I'm I'm struggling because there's a lot I want to jump into from what you just said. Uh, and a lot of I think, common, con- uh, common misperceptions. So one of the things that, that really surprised me about distraction is that it is nothing new. In fact, that it's very common to think, oh, you know, it's, it's these days that the world is just crazy the way it is. And so that's why we're so distracted. And it's social media, and it's uh, Twitter, and it's uh, the news, and it's uh, the politics. But actually, we, we you know one of the first things I learned in my research was that Plato, the Greek philosopher, talked about this problem of distraction 2,500 years ago. Really? 2,500 years ago, people were complaining about distraction, and in fact, we know that the Romans, some of the some of the earliest writing that we have from the Roman Empire, was about how the kids these days are so lazy and they, they won't stay focused, and it's it's amazing. <laughs> so every single generation has this perception that oh. Things are so out of control and so distracting, and I can't focus. And uh, I I can't, you know, people should just focus on their priorities. And the reason that happens, I think, is because you know, if we are of similar vintage, if you're you know, child, I was born in the 70s but grew up in I the was 80s. Born, I was born was, in the 70s
0: and grew up in the 80s, sir.
1: <laughs> okay, excellent. So so the thing is, the world was actually just as crazy, arguably, <laughs> right? We we had the Cold War. We had far more people in poverty than we do today. Uh, by every conceivable metric, uh, access to to, to uh, clean water, uh, uh, access to education, empowerment of women, the world was demonstrably worse. And if you don't believe me, there's a wonderful book called Factfulness by Hans Ronsling, everybody should read. It's another must read on everyone's list, that demonstrate the world is getting better and better as, as much as it seems like it's getting worse because that's what we see in the media, of course. The world has gotten a lot better and continues to get better. We just didn't realize it because we were kids. We didn't realize how, how tough things were back then and how distracting the world was even back then. I mean, people have been going through moral panics around distraction yeah. since time immemorial. Sure. Right. When we were kids, it wasn't social media rotting our brains. It was video games and Dungeons and Dragons, television. And that, you know, the television, just television. television. Of course, we were called couch potatoes. It was like a big <laughs> pandemic about about that. We're all becoming couch potatoes. And before, guess what? To our parents, they did it about the radio. And before that, they did it about uh, books. They literally talked about how books were going to uh, rotting our rot brains. People's brains. Exactly, literally. That's literally what they said about books. Bicycles, bicycles were very bad for you because they oh, you know, yeah. they, they would lead to, lead to lasciviousness, they would uh, lead to feeble-mindedness. Every new technology that has a, a massive impact on this type of scale has a moral panic around it. So we shouldn't mm-hmm. be that surprised. That being said, it is clearly a fact that if you are looking for distraction these days, it's easier than ever to find. That yes. the fact that we are carrying around these devices in our pocket if you are looking to get distracted, you're gonna find distraction, right? And much of that is a technological miracle. It's amazing that I can open up my phone and I can get the world's information. I can connect, look, I'm not even sure where you are. Where are you physically? I am in Austin, Texas. Austin, you're in Austin. I'm in Singapore. We're right. talking over the internet with video cameras here for free. <laughs> like this is a miracle, right? This is it, science fiction. It is, it, it, so it's, very, it's very 2001. <laughs> Yeah, in a way, <laughs> 2022. Yeah, it's very yeah. 2001. So, but, the, but the, the, the price of all that progress is of course that we have to adapt. We have to learn how to properly use these technologies. Uh, and I think that's what I'm fighting for is we need to stop moralizing and medicalizing uh, these these technologies and these behaviors and figure out, look, you know, there's a lot of great stuff that comes with these technologies. How do we get the best of them without letting them
0: get the best of us? So in your first book, you really talked about what social media companies do to us uh, to get us hooked on their products. And I think it's a really good kind of primer to our conversation about distraction because what they're doing is so brilliant and diabolical at the same time in many ways. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. And if you could just give, give everyone just a little bit of understanding of what's happening to our minds when Instagram kicks on or Twitter or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever the new one is coming up.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so my first book hooked, wasn't um, a takedown of social media. It was actually right. a how to guide for right. everyone building habit forming products. So the book is, it looks at the best in the business, looks at the stickiest products out there and social media are, companies are among the examples, but it's not just about social media. Correct. And the idea is that we can steal their secrets. Right. Why is it that the media companies know how to keep us hooked, but we can't get people hooked to exercise or meditation or prayer or eating right or connecting with loved ones? Right. What what would the world be like if we could use the same psychology that gets people hooked to media to get people hooked to healthy habits? And that's exactly what Hooked did. That's what my book was all about. So companies in every conceivable industry from uh, healthcare to education to financial services, all kinds of companies use these techniques today uh, since I published Hooked to help people build healthy habits in their lives. And and the idea is basically that uh, if you can design a product experience in a way that people use the product because they want to, not because they have to, just the same way that you would check social media, for example, what if that was uh, the same habit to exercise or to learn a new language, how amazing would the world be? And so that's that's really what that book was about. Now it does, you know, there is a chapter in the book around the morality of manipulation and how we need to be very careful about these techniques. Right. And it's also something I wanted to show the consumer that you know this isn't this isn't by mistake, right? That uh, I don't care what form of media, all media, sells your attention, right? They sell your eyeballs to advertisers. Does anybody not know that? And it's not just social media companies. We need to TV. stop saying, oh, it's social media. It's the the goddamn New York Times and Fox News and CNN are in the same business. Do we not know that? They mm-hmm. make money on your attention.
0: So we need to, and, and frankly, podcasts, <laughs> right? Oh, like no, no, all, all of us, media. same here. I mean, I, I make a living off of advertising uh, for there my shows yeah. without question, but it's about how you do it. And, but it is, well, it's, it's not just social media. It's just, they do it very well. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show.
1: They do it very well. Right. Right. Totally. But And I would think that the perspective should be that uh, it's not a bad deal, in fact, that whether it's podcasts or the news uh, or social media, that – Frankly, we get a lot from this, right? There's an exchange here, but we need to be wide-eyed. We we can't we can't uh, uh, fool ourselves or or be uh, ignorant to the fact of what's happening. That we are trading our time and attention to be solicited to through ads, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. The fact that you know people can listen to your podcast for free, <laughs> and sometimes right. they have to listen to an ad here and there, I think is a pretty good value exchange. But we need to be aware of what's going on and our responsibility in that equation. That there's nothing wrong with reading the news. It can be great. It's a good thing to understand what's happening in the world. But if we are escaping our problems right here and now by worrying about somebody else's problem 3,000 miles away to escape our present reality, and we don't do anything about that in reality, we're just listening to escape our present discomfort, that's when it can become a distraction. That's when we have things that we want to do with our time and attention in our life, And we get sidetracked. We go off track because we are using distraction to take our mind off of discomfort. And that was the really big revelation for me as I took five years to write Indistractable was that the source of most of our distractions, we're talking 90% studies have found, 90% of our distractions are caused by what we call internal triggers, these uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape, boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, anxiety, it's not the ping, dings, and rings. The pings, dings, and rings, the external triggers, account for only 10% of our distractions. 90% of the time that we get distracted, we get distracted because of a feeling. Distraction overwhelmingly begins from within. And that really was a crucial insight for me in terms of changing my own life and my relationship to distraction.
0: So is that is that kind of, I mean, if we go back into the reptilian brain and we go deeper into our past, Uh, On a subconscious level, you know, we're always afraid about, you know, we're always, generally speaking, we don't move forward a lot of times because our brain is built to uh, keep us alive. It's not built to to support our dreams. (laughs) It wants us to stay away from the unknown. That's why we're always afraid of what's around the corner because the tiger could kill us around the corner. Is that a fair, pretty fair statement?
1: Well, well, first of all, I, I ask you respectfully and politely, don't use the term reptilian brain. Neuroscientists Please. don't actually use that term. It, it doesn't exist. There is no such thing that the brain is the brain. It's not like we have a, a you know, there's this notion that I think we really need to fight that we're that we're somehow beholden yes. to our anatomy, that okay. our brains, well, it's, it's, it's the reptilian brain.
0: That's what made me do what I did. I, 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 exactly. I, this is not my field, I, I know, so I, know, I, completely, I completely, totally,
1: totally. <laughs> and it's it's not your fault either, by the way. It's not your fault because there are people out there who love to sell this narrative. Literally, sell this narrative. They sell it in books. They sell it in organizations. They sell it in in uh, movies, even that want to feed people with this bullshit. Frankly, excuse my French, that they're powerless people and people eat
0: it up. People love it. Well, right? I mean, because if well, I, I don't yeah. mean to interrupt you because I, I just because no, no, have I have studied uh, one of my one of my hobbies is neuroscience and and going into the brain and what makes us tick and the psychology of it, again, not nearly as deep as you have, but for my understanding is that there are things in our brains that subconsciously stop us from moving forward. Uh, because of the fear of the tiger around the corner i, I use that analogy a lot sure. um, yeah. things like that are those the same if and would you agree to that is that that's some that is part of it it's subconscious but once you made aware of it then you kind of fight through it that's why we don't we we avoid pain and want to gain pleasure as a general statement
1: <laughs> yeah so lots to unpack lots to unpack. tell me tell um, me yeah in, in fact um we, we now know that this whole pain-pleasure paradigm is also wrong. Oh, God. Uh, okay, that explain. We, we used to think in what Freud said, the pleasure principle, Jeremy Bentham said something similar, that everything is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, carrots and sticks, right? Mm-hmm. We now know that's actually not true from a neurological basis. Okay. That from a neurological basis, and we can literally see this happening in the brain through fMRI studies, that human motivation, all human motivation is about one thing all human motivation. It's not about pain and pleasure. It's all about the avoidance of discomfort. That's it. That's it. Even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations, right? Wanting to feel good, craving, desire, lusting is itself psychologically destabilizing. Mm -hmm. And if that is true, right? If all human motivation is about a desire to escape discomfort, that must therefore mean that time management is pain management. Weight management is pain management. Money management is pain management. Attention management is pain management. That fundamentally, this is the struggle. And this, by the way, I I didn't invent this. This is a very Buddhist philosophy. And of course, neuroscience has now come to the fact that, that this is in fact very true, that it's really about managing these uncomfortable sensations. But when we break them down to what they really are and make them less scary, right? We need to stop thinking that it's the media, that it's the crazy things in the news, that it's our boss, that it's our kids, that it's all this crazy things that are happening. Really, it's feelings. Guys, it's feelings. And so when we can stop for a minute and understand that these internal triggers can become our masters, we have an opportunity to master them. And so that's the first step to becoming indistractable, is to master your internal triggers. And there's all kinds of beautiful techniques that we can use. I I talk about over a dozen in the book that we can use to first step one to Becoming indistractable is learning ways to master these internal triggers, these uncomfortable emotional states that lead us towards distraction. Now, do we have mm-hmm. uh uh do we have inborn reflexes? Of course, right? If you hear a loud gunshot, you're gonna flinch, right? That's that's an inborn nature. Do we have learned behaviors, learned habits that overwhelmingly is the source of this problem, right? That we 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 get into a routine, a habit around looking to numb ourselves from a particular discomfort. So what most people do, distractible people, when they feel that discomfort, when they feel bored, lonesome, uh, uncertain, stressed, anxious, they look for relief with some kind of distraction. They take a drink, they scroll the the, the social media channel, they turn on the TV, they look for escape from that discomfort. Indistractable people learn to use that discomfort, high performers, people who use the, the the techniques I talk about in the book, they feel the same way everyone else feels. They also feel bored, they also feel lonely, they also feel stressed, anxious, uncertain. They feel the same things, but they learn to use that discomfort like rocket fuel to propel them towards traction rather than trying to escape it with distraction. That's the big difference.
0: So it's it's kind of the mentality of a an athlete that pushes through the pain of a workout because it's discomfort it's uncomfortable. I mean, working out is not comfortable. As a general statement, when you push right. and tear your muscles yeah. to grow, it is a mental thing that you break through and some people can't deal with after the first week of working out and you haven't worked out in 5 years, it, it ain't comfortable.
1: <laughs> Without That's absolutely right. Right? Again, pain management. It's a that's a, it's really about pain and, and around listening to that discomfort. That I think in society today, you know, we're so good at numbing pain. Right. we have a pill for everything yeah. right yeah. but as i like to say pills don't teach skills uh pills don't teach skills that right. we 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 have become so reliant and i say pills figuratively and uh uh not metaphorically but 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 physically right there are certain pills that can make you feel one way or the other and many times people will use those things to escape discomfort but then we also use all kinds of other pills in our society right we we uh, how many like i said before right with media we escape reality right how many of us Check email when we don't know what else to do at work because we don't want to have to do the hard thinking of like, wait, what should I actually be working on right now? Well, let me just check email for a quick sec. Um, so, so all of these pills that take us away from what we really want to do, these are our distractions in life,
0: and these distractions are uh, not allowing us to be the best versions of ourselves. Basically, correct?
1: That's right. That's right. And not let us do what we say we're going to do. So, so this is, I think, a, 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 an important distinction that if you ask most people. What is the opposite of distraction? Most people say the opposite of distraction is focus, right? I don't want to be distracted. I want to be focused. But dis- but focus is not actually the opposite of distraction. If you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is, of course, traction. And when you, when you look at the two words, it makes perfect sense. traction and distraction. Both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters. A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So,
1: reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us, but rather it is an action that we ourselves take. So, traction by definition is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that move you closer to your values, closer to the person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. The opposite is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from what you said you were going to do, further away from your values, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this is more than just semantics. This is really important because I would argue that any action can be traction or distraction based on one word. And that one word is intent. So as Dorothy Parker said, the time you plan to waste is not wasted time. So I kind of take issue with people who say, oh, social media is melting your brain and these new technologies are so bad for you. No, not true. As long as you use them on your schedule and according to your values, not someone else's. So if you want time to play video games, enjoy. You want to watch Netflix? You want to watch YouTube? You want to go on social media? Great. Do it. But do it according to your schedule. That's how you turn distraction into traction. So we need to stop moralizing and medicalizing these perfectly normal behaviors that can give us a lot of good in our life by making time for them. Second thing is that anything can be distraction if it's not what you plan to do. So let me give you a perfect example. For years, I would sit down at my desk at work and I would say, okay, now I'm gonna focus on that. big important thing I have to work on. Nothing's gonna get in my way. Here I go, I'm gonna get started. Nothing to do right now. I'm just gonna focus on this one super important task that I've been delaying. I'm not gonna get distracted. But first, let me check some email, right? <laughs> How often does that happen? You say every day. <laughs> I, I got to work on that big thing right now, but let me just check for a few minutes email, or let me start on those uh, those tasks on the to do list that uh, you know just to just to get started. Before I get to the big important one, let me just do the easy stuff just to get some momentum, right? And what I didn't realize is that that is the most dangerous form of distraction. The most pernicious form of distraction is the kind of distraction that tricks you into prioritizing the urgent and the easy work at the expense of the hard and important work we have to do to move our lives and careers forward. So just because something's a work-related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. If it's not what you plan to do with your time, it is by definition a distraction.
0: So then why do we do that to ourselves? What's going on in our brains that causes that thing? Is it just the pain of doing the hard work that you just want to avoid for as long as humanly possible. It's kind of like writing the term paper the night before or studying on the bus on the way to school for that test.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, the reason we do this is because it's it's a, a skill that many of us haven't learned. Uh, just like many skills, right? You didn't know how to read and write before you taught, you were taught how to learn to read and write, right? This is a skill just like any other. And and, and so that's half of it. We talked about tri- We talked about traction and distraction. The other part of it are the triggers. We talked a little bit about those earlier, the external triggers and the internal triggers. So the external triggers, these are the pings, dings, and rings, all the things in your outside environment, right? All the things that will lead you to traction or distraction based on stimuli in your outside environment, the pings, dings, and rings. But as we know, that's about 10% of our distractions come from external triggers. The other 90% come from these internal triggers that we talked about earlier. So this is now the indistractable model. Now we can we can learn this skill set to overcome these impulses, right? That that uh, if you wanted to summarize my book, my five years of research, it would be into this mantra, that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That you ask, why do we do this? Why, despite knowing what to do, we don't do it, right? We know we should go exercise. We know we should eat right. We know we should be fully present with our family. We know we should do the hard work that moves our career forward. Why don't we do it? The reason is impulse control, That's it. It's just impulse control. Well, what's the antidote to impulse control? The antidote to impulse control is forethought. That when you plan ahead, when you know what to do to prepare for that distraction, there's no distraction you can't overcome. Because what most people do, they leave it to the last minute, right? Uh, If the cigarette is in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If the uh, chocolate cake is on the fork and you're on a diet, too bad, you're going to eat it. If you sleep next to your cell phone every night, It's going to be the first thing you reach for in the morning before you say hello to your loved one. So most people, distractible people, leave these kind of things to happen at the last minute. They don't prepare. They don't learn how to be indistractable. And then they act surprised they got distracted. And and that's what I'm trying to change. So Paolo Coelho has a wonderful quote. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. A mistake repeated more than (laughs) once is a decision. So distractible people choose to be distractible because they keep getting distracted by the same thing again and again and again. Okay. We know social media is distracting. Yep. Got it. But what are you going to do about it? <laughs> distractible right. people say, well, what am I going to do? It's, it's my lizard brain. <laughs> right? Right. I'm addicted. My mind is being controlled. Indistractable people say, ah, okay. You got me once, but you're not going to get me again because I understand why I got distracted and I can do something about it. I can take steps today
0: to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. So what are some of these steps that we can take? Because it sounds fantastic. What you're saying, (laughs) wonderful. We all would just like to be machines that just like wake up in the morning, don't look at the phone for this or that, and you're working and you're getting all your your things done and it's moving us forward. I mean, honestly, what we're talking about here is is almost an epidemic for Mm. humanity because we're not moving forward in the way we want to in life in every aspect spiritually uh, mentally mm, physically yeah. with loved ones because of these these triggers these internal triggers and some external triggers mm-hmm. and this is a skill that is so needed is skill. by by you, like, like by humanity so i like you look at you know i i know a lot of uh, navy seals uh and i've spoken to these kind of you know rangers and th- these guys are just like <laughs> they were trained mm-hmm. to be this is this the way I do this is the way they're not like checking Facebook, <laughs> they're not mm-hmm. they're not distractible because that's not the way they were trained. Uh, that's an extreme, uh, but so what are some things we could do, man, that can help us yeah. deal with this this epidemic? <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I call this the skill of the century, because if you think about it, there's no area of your life that is not affected by your ability to control your attention, right? This is truly how we choose our life. It's how we control our attention. I don't care if it's physical health, mental health, spiritual health, relationships, your job, everything requires you to sustain attention. And so, and especially for our kids, man, if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years with augmented reality and virtual reality and the metaverse, it's only going to become more distracting. So it's absolutely critical. We learn these skills ourselves and set an example for our children because this is the skill of the century. So how do we do it? Okay. Go back to that model of traction distraction, internal triggers, external triggers. And if you're only listening to me right now and can't see I'm, I'm pointing here, There's so you can think of arrows to the left and to the right are traction and distraction. And then you have arrows pointing to the center of that bisected line. Those represent external and internal triggers. Now we have the four points of our compass. We can work through these four steps and there's these four big strategies that we can use to become indistractable. Step number one master the internal triggers. And we can talk about some techniques for how do you do that? We talked about those internal triggers or these uncomfortable emotional states. Mm. You need to have tools in your toolbox. This is the most important step. Tools in your toolbox ready to go so that when you feel discomfort, right? We talked about earlier, time management is pain management. Attention management is pain management. You need to have these tools in your toolkit ready to go so that when you feel that discomfort, when you feel bored, lonesome, stressed, anxious, what do you do? right? Do you reach for one of these tools to help you move towards traction? Or do you reach for doing something else that takes you towards distraction? So we have to build that that toolkit. We can talk about some of the the tools in just a second. The second step is to make time for traction, okay? Make time for traction. Traction, again, is any action that moves you towards your values, towards your goals, things that you do with intent. The problem is that most people don't plan their time. Okay, so let's get really nitty gritty here. I see, I've see, i seen people for, for five years since I've been researching this book and I've talked to a lot of high performers and low performers, people who are distracted, people who are not distractible and a common quality around these people who live their life according to their values is that they plan their time. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm not talking about a to-do list. In fact, we can talk about why to-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. But what we find with high performers is that they they realize that you cannot say you got distracted unless you know what you got distracted from. Let me say it again. You can't say you got distracted unless you know what you got distracted from. So if you can't look to a calendar and say, ah, I plan time to be with my family. I plan time to do focused work. I plan time for meditation. If you just have empty space on your calendar, you have no right to complain about distraction because what the heck did you get distracted from? You have to make time for traction based on, your values. And we can talk about exactly how to do that as well. The third step is to hack back the external triggers. We know that our attention is being hacked by various actors, right? Whether it's media companies, our boss, our kids, people want our time and attention. But that doesn't mean we can't hack back. So even though it only accounts for about 10% of our distractions, we can go systematically through all of these external triggers like your phone, like email. That's the easy stuff. That's
0: kindergarten. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: What about when your boss is the distraction? What happens when your kids are the distraction? What happens if there's another stupid meeting you didn't need to attend that's a distraction? We can go through systematically each and every one of those to hack back those external triggers. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with pacts. Pacts use what's called a pre commitment device to make sure that after we've tried the other three steps, this keeps us in, right? So there's a strategy around keeping distraction out. There's a strategy around keeping ourselves in to the task at hand. And so we we do this through what we call a pre-commitment or a pact uh, to prevent distraction. We can talk about exactly how to do that as well. But now I wanted to lay out those four big strategies, master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back the external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. It sounds like a lot. It's actually not. You can do one small thing in each of these categories and each of these uh, four strategies to become indistractable. And of course, as you learn these methods, you can always refer back to them and say, "Mm, okay, I got distracted because of such and such. Why did I get distracted? And what can I do about it next time? And then you can take out this this toolkit, so to speak, and say, ah, okay, I need to make sure I handle my internal triggers better. Or you know what? I didn't didn't, uh, plan time for traction there. Or that was an external trigger. I know what to do about that next time. Or next time I'm going to use a pact. By knowing these four key strategies, this is how anyone can become indistractable. And of course, I'm I'm trying to summarize right
0: like a 250 page book here. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, a lot more in, in five seconds. <laughs> yes. All right. So yeah. let's go. Let, so let's go through those four pillars, if you will, and and kind of give sure. us at least one tip or two, uh, and each yeah. to kind of help us out a little bit.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So let's start with the most important step. You can't st- skip this step. None of the other stuff will work if you don't first master your internal triggers. So understanding what is that discomfort we're trying to escape. So being able, one, to identify it. So one of the the tactics in the book is very simple, which is just keeping track of your distractions. So having a a little sheet of paper by your desk, you can, you know, for example, I have these post-it notes that I keep with me at all times. And when I get distracted, which I still do, right, even though I wrote the book Indistractable from time to time, I still get distracted, but I I understand why I got distracted so I can do something about it in the future. As we said earlier, the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. So what I want you to do is when you get distracted, there's no guilt. There's no shame. You didn't do anything wrong. You're a human being. I want you just to write down what was that action that you did instead of the task at hand and what was the preceding emotion? What did you feel exactly before you got distracted? Was it boredom? Was it anxiety? Was it stress, uncertainty? What was that sensation? Okay. And we know that simply noting that sensation, simply writing it down is a very empowering first step. Okay. The next thing that you can do, there's all kinds of of techniques that I talk about in the book. One of the techniques that I, I, I like, and I use almost every single day is called the 10 minute rule. The 10 minute rule says that you can give in to any distraction. Okay, it can be uh, uh, checking email when you said you were going to work on that big project. It's uh, if I'm, I'm uh, trying to stay on a diet and I'm trying to resist that chocolate cake or that cigarette, if I'm trying to quit smoking, whatever that distraction might be. You can give into it, but not right now in 10 minutes. Okay, in 10 minutes. And this comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. It's a well studied technique. The idea here is that what you're doing is you're training yourself. To, give your, to, to to realize that you have the agency, you're learning the skill set that you can resist that temptation. So what do you do for those 10 minutes? Here's what you do. So many times, so I write every day. I've been a professional writer for well over a decade now. And mm-hmm. writing is always hard work. I, I don't know, when people say like they can get into a writing habit, I think that's ludicrous. I've never been in a writing habit because <laughs> habits are behaviors done with little or no conscious thought. Uh, how do you write without conscious thought? That's crazy. Writing is hard work. And every time when I'm writing... The, 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 the thing I want to do most is to escape that discomfort, right? Because it's full of internal triggers. Is this any good? Is anyone going to like it? Uh, mm-hmm. what, if, what if this leads nowhere? It's full of all these internal triggers. So what do I do when I feel like, oh, I just want to check email real quick, or let me just Google this one thing. Instead, what I do is I set a timer for 10 minutes, and then I pause for a minute. I take a deep breath. And my job is to do what we call surf the urge. Surfing the urge acknowledges, that these sensations are transitory they're like waves they crest and then they subside even though in the moment we feel like we're going to experience them forever we feel like we're going to have that craving that urge that itch forever that's never the case right these urges are like waves and your job is to surf that urge like a surfer on a surfboard and so there's some some mantras some some self-talk that i can give you that i give you in the book on what you can say to yourself during that surfing the urge session and what you will find is that by the time those 10 minutes are up, if you've just surfed the urge for a few minutes, you will find that nine times out of 10, you'll be back to the task at hand. That if you just allow yourself that time to say, yep, I'm, I'm a grown adult, I can do whatever I want. I can give into that temptation, but not right now. What you're doing over time with that 10 minute rule is expanding your agency, expanding your belief in your ability to delay that gratification by saying, okay, you know what? Actually, you know what, I think I could go 12 minutes. Or maybe 15 minutes and so over time you're building that capacity to prove to yourself yeah you know what i don't have to give in to every little urge and whim i can wait for a few minutes and i'll get to that a little bit later so that's one technique out of dozens for how to master internal triggers
0: bush you are you are a pro sir you've 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 done this before i can tell you are amazing you you just there's so (laughs) much there's so much information and in a sentence from you. It's like people are listen to this again and again and go back to it again and again. All right. In the second pillar, what what's a tip that you can give us?
1: Yeah. And, and, and thank you for that, by the way. The reason I know this stuff so well is that I live it, right? I'll be honest with you. I didn't write the book for my readers. Yeah. I wrote yeah. the book for me. I wrote <laughs> the book for me. I, I didn't, I didn't write it because I was uh, was indistractable. I wrote it because I was distractible. In fact, it took me five years to write that book because I kept getting distracted while I was writing it. (laughs) It wasn't until I figured out the techniques that actually work, not only based based on the research, right? I hate reading these self-help books that's, hey, this worked for me, so it's going to work for you. Like, that's not good enough. I want to see the peer-reviewed studies. So I had to sort through tons. I mean, I'm talking thousands of studies. There's over 30 pages of citations in the back of the book to figure out what techniques not only work are effective, but also are backed by good research. And so I've I've implemented this into my own life. And let me tell you, there's no area of my life that hasn't improved. I'm 44 years old. I'm in the best physical shape of my life. Why? It's not because I have good genes. It's because I exercise when I say I will. Uh, I have a better relationship with my daughter than ever before, my wife than ever before. I'm more productive at work than ever before. It's not not because I'm smarter or better. It's just that I know that when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And so I can live out my intentions and my values and be the person I want to be. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. Like I said, I still get distracted from time to time. But now I know what to do about those distractions as opposed to letting them happen again and again. So the second, the second pillar, the, the second strategy, making time for traction. So traction, as we talked about earlier, it, are, are these actions that pull you towards what you say you're going to do. And so the idea here is to be very clear about how you want to spend your time. Well, how do you decide how to spend your time? You have to look at your values. What are values? Values are attributes of the person you want to become. I'll say that again. Values are attributes of the person you want to become. So I give people these three life domains that you can use to assess how to spend your time. Now, what what I want you to do is to look at your calendar for the week ahead. And I want you to plan out every minute. Now, for some people, this is going to strike them as, what? That's crazy. That's so rigid. That's so difficult. Well, give me a chance here, okay? And if it sounds like too much, do maybe one day or, heck, one afternoon, okay? What I want you to do is to plan out how would the person you want to become spend their time? How would the person you want to become spend their time so that you can live up to your values? If you want to see what someone's values really are, not just what they say they are, but what their values really are, you look at their checkbook. How do you spend your money? and how do you spend your time, okay? That's how you figure out what someone's values really are. So I want you to turn your values into time. And we do that with these three life domains, starting with you. You're at the center of these three life domains if you can't take care of yourself, can't take care of others, can't make the world a better place. So I want you to look at your calendar and I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time taking care of themselves? Now, what might that include? For example, sleep. Okay, we've all read the books, we all know sleep is very important, right? right? And we we tell our children you need to go to bed on your bedtime. Well, do we have a bedtime or are we hypocrites? Right? I used to do this to my daughter all the time. You have to go to bed, it's your bedtime. But I didn't have a bedtime. <laughs> is right. sleep less important for me? No, it's just as important. I need sleep, but it wasn't in my calendar. Well, guess what today? I have a bedtime. It's in my schedule, and before bedtime comes time for for personal hygiene. Right, I need to take a shower. I need to brush my teeth. It's in my calendar. Now I don't identify every little two minute task. I do them in about thirty minute buckets. Right, so get ready for bed is a category is a is has a space on my calendar,
0: but it's in my schedule. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: For me. Physical fitness is important, right? When you ask people, what are your values? What's important to you? Oh, uh, health. Health is very, very important. Oh, yes. Is it really? Do, do you have time in your calendar to take care of your health? Or is it more of an aspiration? I'll get to it someday. So if exercise is important to you, it's important to me. It doesn't have to be important to you, by the way. It's, it's one of your values. Nobody should tell you what your values are. But if physical health is important, do you have time to take a walk, to go to the gym, to whatever it is that you want to do for yourself? Is it in your schedule? time for fun, right? If you want to play video games, if you want to read a book, if you want to meditate, prayer, paint, I don't care, put it in your calendar, right? Actually have it hold a space in your calendar. So that's the you domain. The next life domain is the relationship domain. and this one is really important because we know that there is a loneliness epidemic uh, in the industrialized world that people we know that that loneliness, is as detrimental to our health as smoking and obesity. Now, why do we have this loneliness epidemic? A big part of it is that people have lost the regular times to be with their friends and family. It's not on our schedules like it used to be. Past generations used to have The church group, the bowling league, the the Kiwanis club, they had these regular interactions. Every Thursday night is my bowling league, right? We know that these groups, these civic organizations have declined precipitously. A lot of this has happened because of the secularization of society. We just don't go to religious events like we used to. So we don't have that time to be with others, to be with our community. Put it on your schedule. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to a religious institution, but I am saying that you need regular interaction with people you love and who love you. So don't give your family, your friends, your loved ones, whatever scraps of time are left over, put it on your calendar, put time with your kids, with your, with your spouse, put that with your best friends, put it on your schedule. The next life domain is called the work domain. And this is where most people start. If they plan their day, maybe they'll have a meeting here and there. They'll, they'll, they'll start with the work domain. I actually think it comes last. Now, this is where most people spend their waking hours at work during the work week. And work can be divided into two kinds of work. We have what we call reactive work. Reactive work is, you, you know, the reacting mm-hmm. to emails, reacting to messages, right. reacting to meetings, reacting to other people tapping you on your shoulder. That's reactive work. Then there's what we call reflective work. Reflective work is the kind of work that can, be, that can only be done without distraction. Planning, thinking, strategizing, that kind of work can only be done without distraction. What we find is that low performers spend almost all their time doing reactive work, right? Reacting to whatever is coming across their desk because it's very comfortable, right? When you use your inbox as your to-do list, you don't have to think. You just do whatever's in your inbox. But of course, what happens is if your entire day is spent doing reactive work, you're running real fast in the wrong direction so you have got to put in some time in your day i don't care if it's 15 minutes 20 minutes whatever amount of time you have to have some day booked out to work without distraction in order to do that reflective work to move your life and career forward so make sure you have that time in your day as well so now you will have what's called a time box calendar and so this is how we turn our values into time is by having that that week right ideally those 7 days planned out now you can also, and I, of course, I want you to have time for fun. It's not just be a ro- robot machine, you know, do <laughs> right. productive stuff. I want you to plan time for the things that that make life worth living as well. But the, the beauty of it is that when you do that, you're turning distraction into traction. You don't have to feel guilty about the fact that you want to spend time with your kids or, you know, a squeeze into meditation or play video games for anything you want. If you turn it into time on your calendar, now it's traction. So that's how we make time for traction in our day.
0: That's the second step. So you mentioned to-do list, and I just wanted to kind of uh, spotlight that for a second because it is been, yeah, it, it, it screamed from the top of the mountains. You need a to-do list every day to go through things and everything. And I saw yeah. in your book, that you're like, that's the devil. Uh, so please yeah. explain <laughs> to the audience why yeah. the to-do list is the devil.
1: <laughs> right. So there's there's a there are few things that make to-do lists particularly awful. Uh, now, before I say that, it's it's not that writing things down on a piece of paper or in an app and getting them out of your brain is a bad thing. That's actually a very, very good thing. But that's where most people stop. And what I'm saying is that that you have to take those tasks and put them on your schedule. If you do what most people who keep a to-do list do, which is just, I'm putting things down out of my brain onto a to-do list, what you will very soon get is an endless list of mm-hmm. things to do. Why? Yep because to-do lists have no constraints. There's no bottom, there's no end to your list of to-dos. Whereas with a time box calendar, there is a constraint. What's the constraint? It's 24 hours in a day, right? So when you measure yourself only based on output, you will get bad results. What do I mean by that? A to-do list, is things that you want to complete, right? A bunch of cute little boxes that you want to check off, right? Output. So it's kind of like if you went to a baker and you said, hey, I I, I need a a birthday cake. Well, what's what's the baker going to do? They're going to say, okay, well, to make a birthday cake, I need flour, I need sugar, I need eggs, I need all these inputs to make the output. But when you make a to-do list without a schedule, without using your calendar, it's like you have outputs without the inputs, right? What's the output for the work we do? sorry, what, what are the inputs for the work we do? The The input is just two things. For for knowledge workers, it's time and attention. That's it. Time and attention. Those are your only two inputs. But how do we expect to get all these outputs, all these things done, all these tasks checked off if we haven't planned the input? <laughs> and so that's why it's not that that writing things down is a bad thing. It's a very good thing. It's that most people skip the crucial Next step, which is to put it on your schedule. When are you going to do those things? Because that forces you to prioritize. That forces you to look at it and say, okay, well, I'm not going to have time to do all these things. I'm going to have time to do, you know, I'm going to work on this task, this task, this task, and the other stuff is going to wait for another time. Because this, the one of the reasons that to-do lists are the devils, as you said, <laughs> is that what most people, what happens to most people is that they get home from a long day. They feel like they've been super busy. They've run ragged. And they, they, they look at their to-do list, and it's full of things they still haven't finished, right? And what does that do to your psyche? What does oh. that do to your self-image if day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you are reinforcing your self-image of someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do? Loser. And so that begins to take this this psychic toll. And then you start hearing people say, oh, you know what? I'm no good with time management. Uh, I'm not a morning person. I'm a Sagittarius. They come up with all kinds of reasons (laughs) that are are silly, right? It has nothing to do with the fact that you're using, it's not you that's broken. It's this stupid technique you've been using that's broken. So as opposed to using a to-do list, a much better technique is to use this time box calendar technique to make time for traction. Now, what you start tracking now changes. So you stop measuring yourself based on how many cute little boxes you check off. Rather, you start measuring yourself by one thing and one thing only, and that is, did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? Notice, I did not say, did I finish? That is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you finish, but you're saying, well, when am I going to get my work done, right? I got to do all these things. How, how, what do you mean I'm not supposed to finish? Here's the kicker. The people who measure themselves simply based on this one metric of did I work on what I said I was going to work on without distraction, finish more. They actually get more done than the people who like the cute little checkboxes technique of the to-do list. Why? Because when you have this to-do list, there's no feedback mechanism. There's no way for you to know how long did it actually take you? Which is why on average, we know that people take three times longer to finish a task than they estimate. Why does that happen? because there's no learning involved. Whereas when you have a time box calendar, you can say, okay, let me see. I worked on this task without distraction for 15 minutes, let's say, right? You could do anything for 15 minutes, right? So you worked on the task for 15 minutes. You say, okay, well, I needed to work on this blog post and I got about 500 words in. And if I want the blog post to be 2000 words, that means I need four 30 minute increments. Great, let me put that on my calendar. As opposed to when you put on your to-do list, write blog post, Well, how long does that take? I have no idea. You're setting yourself (laughs) up for failure. Yeah, you're setting
0: yourself up for failure. Exactly,
1: exactly. So not only do these to-do lists, when you use them inappropriately, degrade your self-image, right? People start believing this rubbish that they're somehow no good at this technique, which is not true. Not only do they not have any kind of feedback mechanism, the third really terrible thing about to-do lists is that they don't even let you enjoy the time you have off. This is what I call the tyranny of the to-do list. This is what happens. It used to happen to me all the time. I'd come home from work and all I want to do is relax. Just want to watch some Netflix, maybe be with my daughter, just relax, right? But here's the thing. I have all those unfinished tasks on my to-do list. And I'm thinking about as I'm watching Netflix or as I'm playing with my daughter, I'm thinking about all the things I still haven't done. That's terrible. (laughs) So many of your listeners, I bet, haven't ever experienced what real leisure feels like. Leisure should be when you are fully immersed in a task and you know that's exactly what you should be doing. So, when you are indistractable, when you turn your values into time, you have time on your calendar to be with your daughter, right? To watch Netflix, to do whatever it is you want. And if you do anything else, including work stuff on your to do list, that then becomes a distraction. So, it's only when we time box that we can truly enjoy our time because we know that's exactly what we said we were going to do with it.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So, from what I'm taking is out of the to do list, is that Sagittarius cannot do to do lists. I, that's all I heard, really. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's I, a core so message I pulled up. That was the core <laughs> message I got from that entire bit right there on the to do list that Sagittarius cannot do to do lists. <laughs>
1: You're gonna. We're gonna get some hate mail from uh, all the Sagittarius. I'm, I'm assuming.
0: Um, well, they're Sagittarius, says, of course they're gonna give hate mail. Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> ah, <so> difficult. <laughs> I mean, near uh, it is fascinating to to go you go down this road with you because you know i've I've tried to organize my life, and we talked about this a little bit before we got started. I've read your books. I took your course. I've got the box calendars. I bought the Busy Cal. I got. I got the, not the iCal, the one that comes with the Mac. I got the, the professional one that gives you more options and you can color cordy. It's really cool. And I set that up multiple times in my life. And the, the problem I have with it is sticking to this thing that I've created. And by the way, I took time, built this machine at this time to mm-hmm. this time. It's going to be family time at this time to this time is meditation at this time at this time is work and this and that. And my, my biggest issue is sticking to it. And, and, and there's yeah. something about it. I didn't understand why I didn't stick to it. So now I use it um, obviously for my interviews and, and, and you know scheduling time. And there's blocks of time that I do for that. But I almost have a mental um, block uh, calendar in my head that like, okay, I'm gonna work from eight to nine. At nine, I start my meditation for two hours. Gives me enough time to prep for this next interview, have some, you know, I, I, and it's working. It's working. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's working for me. But what tips do you have? Like, First of all, I'd love you to unpack what I just said. And is there any tips you can give me to kind of stick with it, man?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So step number one we talked about is master these internal triggers. So, so uh, we can get back to that in a second about how you're utilizing step number two is you said, okay, you're planning the time, but you f- sometimes fall off track, which is totally fine, right? All I still fall off track from time to time. And I wrote the book, right? Because being indistractable doesn't mean you never get distracted that I made up the word indistractable so I can define it any way I want. It's, you don't, it, it, if you're not perfect, you're human. That, that That's, that's part of being a, a human being. The idea is that you're, you're learning from that. So the mentality is not to be a drill sergeant. The, the, the way you're speaking about this is, is kind of sounds like a drill sergeant mentality. I said I was gonna do this and I didn't
0: do the thing. I have to go to the extreme. Right? I have to go to the two extremes, either loosey-goosey or <laughs> so, it's full metal jacket. <laughs> exactly, so so I would invite you, instead
1: of trying that that uh, that drill sergeant mentality, try the scientist mentality. What does a scientist do? A scientist has a hypothesis runs an experiment, and then sees the results. And then based on the results, comes up with another hypothesis and does another experiment. Our opportunity to run this experiment happens every day. Over time, it becomes every week. What what does that look like? In my calendar on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m., I have a time block to plan my week ahead. Now, what does that look like? I look at my calendar for the for the week that just passed and the calendar for the week ahead, and I plan how to change that schedule so that I can live out my values in the week to come. And if I say to myself, well, you know what, last week I kept wanting to meditate first thing in the morning and it, it wasn't, it was very difficult to do. It wasn't working out for me. I had too many things on my mind and my daughter needed this and I needed to, okay, well, what would happen if I change that time in my, in my calendar to put meditation at a different time or maybe my writing time might change or, you know what, I have that big meeting or I have that doctor's appointment. Now I have to move things around. So when you make that schedule, it doesn't mean that that schedule never changes. quite the opposite. It changes all the time except in the day. So you never change your schedule in the day. Once you make that schedule and the, the day begins, the calendar date begins, you stick to that schedule. And if you fall off track, you try and get to the next task or the next time block, not the task, the time block that's in your schedule. You already know what to do as soon as you, you can. So you bring yourself back from that distraction. But if that day didn't work out as well as you plan, right, tomorrow you can change it and make it easier to follow that plan. So you you have that flexibility. Now, the next thing I would say is that we only talked about two of the strategies. Right. You need all four, they have to work in concert. So one of the things that was very interesting that you said was that you said, you know, it, I, I have no problem sticking to my time box calendar when I have an interview. Why, why was that?
0: Well, because I have someone else that's waiting for me. And it's part exactly. of my, it is part of the values of what I am doing. This is my livelihood. This is all I do. So I can't not show up to an interview when you've set up in Singapore. And I'm like, ah, sorry. Like the exactly. whole the whole show will come crashing down quite quickly. <laughs> right,
1: so there's a cost to not following through. Correct. Now, what is the cost to not showing up for yourself? When you say, hey, I want to, what what is what is it you said you were going oh, to I, you got distracted from?
0: Um, uh, I meditate or I have to do some graphic okay. work or I have to write an article yeah. or something like that. You know, I, I I tend to prioritize meditation. I prioritize working out now. Um, mm-hmm. and those kind of things, those are unmovable for me, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Like a certain mm-hmm. every morning I wake up and I go work out and beautiful. And I meditate, but 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 when it's the writing is the writing the thing that you said Oh, I'm going to write. Well, yeah, it depends. Well, look first, writing's you, know, as, you as we've already explained. This is horrible. It's a horrible, horrible it's profession. <laughs> it's hard. horrible. Yeah. Uh, the blank yeah. page is terrifying. But to do that uh, kind absolutely. of work or to do things that you might not like to do, that is my there biggest weakness. It my and yes. I I can and I can acknowledge that in myself. Uh, by doing the yeah. self work that I've done over the years, is anything. If I have a hard thing to do and a and five easy things to do, I will attack the five easy so much faster because I right. feel accomplished at it. But the big the big thing that needs to get done gets pushed or pushed or just gets nibbled on and doesn't really yeah. get the thing until I have to like taxes are due got to Yeah, you're going to go to, to jail me. if you don't do them. They Absolutely. They got so, okay. to have somebody help me with that. So
1: this is this is this is this is everything, right? You you've you've said everything that I need to know already, right? That you you talked about how it's the easy tasks that that get done first, the hard tasks get delayed. Uh, you talked about that you're very capable of doing these things if you have the proper incentive, if you have the proper pressure. So it's about we we so we've established you will do them right? If 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 I said, so give me, let's make this really concrete. What's a, something that you said I need to do? It was on your schedule. So you, you did step number two of making time for traction. And then you found that you got distracted during the middle of the task. Can you, can you give me a recent Oh example? yeah.
0: Prepping, prepping. I release obscene amounts of podcasts every week. I do about mm-hmm. eight episodes across three different shows. Uh, mm-hmm. and I have to prep those. So I have to like, mm-hmm. you know, get my, t- I have to, I have a team. Thank God. Uh, But I have to kind of like organize like, okay, this is being released this day. This is being released this day. Uh, And I'd like to, I still like to do graphics. So I do my graphics for the thumbnails and things like that. So I have to do that. Mm -hmm. It's not particularly the most fun thing I do all week. It is administrative. work. I would rather not do it. And I push it, push it to the point where I should have everything done by Friday. But sometimes I tell my wife, I didn't get those VOs done. I got to take an hour out of Saturday morning to yes. knock them out and she's like what, what and who what? pays the price and my parent my family does and she's always like exactly. why but like you had all week like why do you i'm like i know i just got busy this so that is frustrating because i don't want to do that on saturdays and by the way right when i go away on a vacation or i have to go away for business i have to prep a week or two ahead and then i just mm. and i find myself i jam it all into like a two-hour block and i get it yeah. done and I'm done for two weeks. I'm like, what? What's wrong with you, Alex? Like, you can <laughs> obviously do this easily. Why is this so a thing? So help me. So this this is beautiful.
1: <laughs> this is exactly. I mean, you. This is this is exa- So I'm so glad because everything you mentioned right now can be fixed with these four tactics, mm-hmm. right? So number one is the internal trigger. So addressing that sensation of oh, this isn't fun. I don't really want to do this right now. Like, that is the. The number one reason we don't achieve our goals is because we don't wanna, right? I don't wanna go to the gym. I don't wanna meditate. I don't wanna do those graphics right now. It's, it's a feeling. So recognizing that feeling and having a script, I want you to, to think for a, a, a little bit after the show around what the mantra can be to respond to that state of, I don't wanna, right? Is it, so for example, when I'm writing and it sucks, as we both know, it's very hard. My mantra is, this is what it feels like to get better.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's
1: my mantra. So that when I feel like this is hard, I don't want to do this right now. I'm bored. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I repeat to myself, this is what it feels like to get better. Okay, Then you can come up with your own mantra, but to have, and there's all those, there's dozens of different things you can do to disarm those internal triggers, to master those internal triggers. Next is scheduling the time. So it's interesting. You said when you know you have to do it because you have uh, travel, for example, coming up, what you you crank out those two hours and you're done. So what I want you to do is to make sure that you have that time to do that task you didn't really want to do, whether it's the graphics or whatever, the VO, have it on your calendar. Okay. Step number three, when you do sit down and do them, make sure you turn off all those external triggers. I don't want any pings, dings, or rings. Everything should be shut off. And step number four, and perhaps the most important, I think that's this is what you're missing, is a pact, is a pre-commitment. Because you told me that if you have a guest waiting for you or you have travel coming up and you know you have to when you have this social obligation for example you do the task you do the work so if i told you okay alex uh if you don't finish these VOs right now uh you have you know two hours i want you to work on them without distraction and you you, you yourself told me by the way uh, that you can do them in two hours right right if you don't do them if that's not what you're going to spend all your time doing without distraction you're going to have to pay me $50,000. Would you do them? I, I, I finish them up tonight, sir. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we've established you can. Now we're negotiating the price. So what you've got to do, Alex, for these tasks that you know will make your life better. You know, I'm, I can hear the, the, the pain in your voice when you say, oh, that time comes out of time with my family. That sucks. Right. It does. The, so, so you know that. So what I want you to do is to use a pact, a pre-commitment. Now pacts come in three different kinds. We have what we call an effort pact. An effort pact is when there's some kind of uh, friction in between us and something we don't want to do, and uh, 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 that distraction. Um, so, for example, if there was, uh, if you, if there was some kind of uh, friction, some kind of uh, effort in between stopping that task, then there's what we call a price pact, where there's a financial disincentive to not finishing that task. So for example, when I was writing my book, I had done research for like four years about all the collecting all the studies and putting them all together and trying to figure out the model. And I just needed to write the darn thing. And so I learned this technique. I I learned in the psychology literature about making price packs. I went to my friend Mark and I said, Mark, if I don't finish my first draft by January 1st, I'm going to give you $10,000. Now, do you think I finished the first draft? Of course I did. Do you think I gave Mark the money? Of course I did not need to because I did what I said I was going to do. So one challenge I would I would put to you, Alex, is how can you use a pact, a pre-commitment? Maybe it's another person, right? Maybe working with another person. There's, there's a wonderful site called focusmate.com where you can sign up for a specific time slot and you'll have another person who's also doing what you're doing. They're focusing on that task. Just seeing another person that you're working alongside, oh, no. oh, yeah. in this case, virtually, very, very effective. Maybe you can make a bet, a commitment with your wife, and you can say, look, honey, if I don't finish this on Monday so that I have time on Saturday, I'm going to burn money. So for, I'll give you another quick example. No, she, no, she, uh, would, she I, would have a heart attack. I have to clean. Okay, maybe not with bathroom. your wife. Make it with I have me. To, I'll make no, it I have to
0: <laughs> clean the bathroom. I have to clean the bathroom by myself. Something like okay, that. there you
1: go. Something <laughs> like that, right. So for me, I used to be clinically obese. I always hated exercise, for me, but I knew one of my values was to take care of my physical health. So right now, I have a calendar in my dresser that I see every single day, and on that dresser, on on that calendar, is taped a crisp hundred dollar bill. Now above this calendar, there's a shelf, and there's a big lighter on that shelf, and so this is what I call the burn or burn technique. That if I don't exercise in some way, and, and I define the rules as you can as well. If I don't exercise six days a week, it can be go for a walk, go to the, you know do some pushups, yeah. go to the gym, any kind of exercise. If I don't burn the calories, I have to burn the money. Now, like physically light it on fire. I can't give it away because that would make me feel good that I would make someone's day and give them a hundred bucks. I can't do that. I have to physically light it on fire. Now, why do I do that? Because my personal integrity says to me that I'm gonna just do the stupid push-ups or go take a walk as opposed to burning that money, because I've added that that price pack, that have you, that, have you that ever cost. It? Have you ever burned it? I've never had to burn it. Okay. I've never had to burn it. And, for, and now, frankly, to be honest, honestly, I don't even need it because now I've learned to get into the routine of exercise. Sure. I'm in the best shape of my life. I love it actually. Now I, I would, it would feel weird to not go exercise. Now it's become part of my day. I really don't even need it anymore. But if there is this behavior that you know you want to do, you want to edit the, you know, you want to do the videos, you want to do the graphics, and it's kind of a chore. It's not, you know, it's not something you really want to do. When you try all three of these, the, the, the first three techniques, the master internal triggers, make time for traction and, and hack back external triggers as the last line of defense, right? The last resort is this fourth step of preventing distraction with packs can be a very, very effective technique. If you use it, I, I would be very surprised if it didn't work. If you had some kind of disincentive to not doing it.
0: Well, my friend, I appreciate all of that uh, information. I'm going to apply it uh, because it's, uh, it, it's not, as I've spe- as, as I said, all this out loud, I understand how ridiculous I am uh, because these things are so, I, I knocked them out so quickly, but there was something in my head is like, Oh, these are, this is not fun. And, and I'm like, look, I'm yeah. a pod. I, I podcast for a living. So obviously fun is something i enjoy I, I don't do things i don't like to do anymore i don't know about you but as we get older the level of stuff that we put up with gets lower and lower and lower you? Yeah, yeah. would you so, would, and, would you agree and with- by the way
1: absolutely and by the way alex one of the solutions might be look you made your time box calendar and you're saying, geez, it takes me two hours to do these graphics. You know what? Maybe it's time to let someone else do the graphics. That oh, could also I've... be fine.
0: Yeah. I that's know. also okay. <laughs> I, someone has been telling me to do that for quite some time. And I can't let. that's the only thing I can't let go of. Look, I was editing all my podcasts up until like two years ago. And yeah, it, it, people, but the thing is I always tell people is like, When you have the ability and the skill set to do something, it's great and it's horrible both at the same time because you don't let go. Mm, mm. You know, If you didn't know how to –
1: That's the beauty of the time box calendar is that you can look at and you can say, yes, I can, but what does it come at the expense of? If it comes at the expense of being with my family or growing my business or going to the gym or meditating –
0: I've Which is hard more way. important? I've learned the hard way, my friend. I've learned the hard way. Nir, um, I get to keep talking to you about this for for hours. I really do appreciate you coming on the show and and sharing all of the, your knowledge. You are a a master at not being being indistractable, sir. I mean, seriously you you literally wrote the Thank book on zero. it. Uh, where can people find <laughs> uh, more about your work and pick up this new book?
1: Absolutely. So the book is called Indistractable. If you go to indistractable.com, it's spelt I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E. So indistractable.com. There's actually an 80-page workbook that we couldn't fit into the back of the book. So we decided to give it out for free online. You can get it right there. It's all complimentary at indistractable.com. And my own blog is called nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name. That's N-I-R and far.com.
0: Near, thank you again so much, man. And I appreciate the work and the 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 work that you're doing to help the world become indistractable and really at the end help us become better people better souls and growing and doing achieving the things that we want to achieve in life and first step is to be indistractable so i appreciate you uh for everything you do my friend
1: i appreciate that so much thank you for having me
0: I want to thank Near so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with all of us. Thank you so much, Near. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 168. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. will talk to you soon.